Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, we're a little bit behind in the Thursday night class. Last week I gave a Thursday night class, but I was gonna, hoping that Friday last week I would be able to continue it, because it's a long discourse. And uh, actually we started this the week earlier on Friday morning, or Friday afternoon rather, Erev Shabbos, and then I continued last week Thursday night, and this is part three of the Mimer Biur Vizais Chukasataira, Barakatad and Erlin Shakal Nibidwari. So I'd like to continue it now, and uh, probably for about an hour and a half. This, we're not going to finish. Let's move, move, move. Hopefully, maybe tomorrow morning, or if we need to, we'll leave this for the Thursday night class to rest, but I'd rather not. And do something on Pasha's Pinchas. So here we are. Uh, holding on page 116, I do want to um, dedicate this year. Um, uh, someone sent us a uh, donation, not for anything special, but um, so. But I'm not sure. He he marked the anonymous box. I'm not going to say his name. So I don't know if the, sometimes people do that accidentally, but could be it's uh, not. But in any case. Uh, if you gave a donation in the last 24 hours for $322, um, that was what I saw. So I would like to dedicate this class to you and your family. Again, he didn't write for what, where, and when, so it should be a bracha for him. Okay. So here we are. Um, we're holding. Okay, now I, I'm going to do a, a brief review. Again, these classes are two recent classes. They're called the Bior Zoyschukasatora. It's a Maimir Lakuti Torah. So the main idea that we learned till now, at least as it connects to the part we're learning now, was that Paraduma is the reason why it's called Zaischukasatora, which means it reaches and touches the essence of the Torah. Where the Torah is etched in God. Remember, we discussed that there is letters that are written and there are letters that are etched the origins of Torah as they are rooted in the very, very quintessence of Hashem, um, that's where the Torah is like engraved letters, where the source and the letters are one. So the Torah obviously is already specified ideas. And the question is how much are these ideas ideas or how much are these ideas an expression, a revelation of the essence that is beyond all ideas and beyond all definitions. So there is a level where the Torah is emerging as engraved letters. They are, and an engraved letter is one with the object in which they're engraved on. In our case, the, the entity in which it is engraved on is Hashem himself. The letters are an expression of him. And then once the letters move, move more outward and they become more conceivable ideas, even in the realm of the divine, they become more in, in, in ideas of, of uh, you know, intelligence and so on and so forth. That's already considered written letters, where the the that 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 state of intelligence cannot be considered the quintessential being. It's a enclosed. It's just like in a in a um, in letters, even in written letters. Underneath the letters, there is the parchment, and the parchment facilitates the letters. So in our case, the parchment would be considered God, enclosed in the ideas of Torah, but the idea and him are not totally one, just like the letter is foreign ink 
that's put on the parchment, as opposed to um, the engraved letter where the engravement is in the entity itself that represents an infinitely higher state of Torah. Obviously, at that state, it is utterly inconceivable and unknowable, and we find that that's the way the Torah was originally given, is that it, to show us and demonstrate how deep the Torah is rooted in Hashem, we find that the Torah is in its, in its original form was engraved on the luchos. Okay, we're going to see actually when we learn further in the Maimon, not in today's part, um, that the, the idea of engraved letters is even deeper than the engraved letters of the luchos. The luchos, the letters engraved on the luchos are already considered second stage and compared to something even before the luchos. And when we're saying zos chukas Torah, we're getting to the engraved letters of the Torah, we mean even preliminary even before the luchos. And what's the point of Zosukas Torah? Is that when we, the time the Torah gets to us, the Torah goes through many, many level, levels of, of descent. And, and in a sense, when it descends, in a sense, when it descends, it kind of um, moves away from that higher, deeper, you know, it, it, it leaves, it becomes more external. And we're engaging in it in its external states. But yet, here's the secret through our study of Torah and our observance of mitzvahs the way we should, we're able to reconnect the Torah, even the Torah as we, as we connect to it, as we have it, to its origins of origins in the very essence of God. And that's the idea of, he discussed how there's two names of Hashem, Yudke Vavke, two levels. Yudke Vavke, external. Yudke Vavke, as it is one with God. That's why in this pasuk it says two times Hashem's name, the Tetragrammaton twice, Vaidabir Avayal Moishalemer. So Havaya, the higher Havaya is Havaya as it is etched in Hashem Himself, that He is commanding Lamar to connect that to Chachma. When we're learning the Torah as Chachma, as God's wisdom, we should not be missing out on the essence. And but that's dependent on us. And how is it dependent on us? On our on our observance of mitzvahs, which expresses itself primarily in the red heifer. Paraduma is the one mitzvah that demonstrates the prototype of all mitzvahs. Um, it would be an example. In other words, if you're a salesman and you want to sell your company, you want to bring one object, one, one of your, uh, um, 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 one of the, uh, the, um, I don't know what would you call it, one of the um, material or whatever it is that your company is producing that will be most reflective of everything you're producing or a teacher wants to teach one teaching that you'll get a real sense of who this teacher and what their teachings are all about. That's a demonstration, a demo. That's the point, a demo. Paraduma is a demo of all of Torah and mitzvahs. The reason is because all of Torah and mitzvahs is about lifting up the world to God and drawing God down to the world, and that is reflected in the red heifer in Paraduma because in Paraduma we do a ratzo, a powerful ratzo, by burning the, the animal into ashes and as we learned in the last class, that even though in every mitzvah, and so many mitzvahs, there is an element of taking something and elevating it to Hashem, like in a carbon or the like, definitely sacrifices. And here it's also burning something into the ashes. But the point over here is that in our case, there is el every element of existence that is, that is part of the paraduma, part of that elevation. Lifting things up from the something to the nothingness. Returning things back into God returning the creation, the energy of creation back into its source. That's called Ratzai. Escaping the, the trappings of a finite existence back into the infinite. And that procedure of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim going up high 
is, is most expressed by Paraduma because it has within it the, the elevation of all four species of the world, the inanimate, the plant, the animal, and the human. So where did we see we have all those things and they're all being burnt up in the fire, which fire means the extinguishing it into non-existence, into pre-existence. So where do you have it in the fire? All elements. So we explained that the, the, um, you have the red heifer itself is an animal. When it becomes ash, it is inanimate. So you have both. And you put into it two types of, gra- of, of, of um, plants, a cedar tree, a branch of a cedar tree, and a, shur- and a, and a, and a little grass. So that's the tzomeach, that's the vegetation that's being elevated. And again, when it burns to ashes, it too is the inanimate. And then you have the final one is the red, the, the, the ribbon, the, 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 the piece of, I guess it was made out of wool, thread, or the ribbon that was dyed with the dye of this tolas, of this type of worm, which gives some kind of a crimson um, dye. That represents um, the human. Why does it represent the human? Because the, the sages say that the power of this type of worm, of this tolas, is that it burrows through trees with its mouth. It's a small, tiny, tiny little creature, yet it has so much power that it, that it penetrates, it goes through trees. By what? It eats at the tree. It eats at the bark. Now, if I try to poke a hole in the bark in a strong tree, I can't do it. If I have a right instrument, I can carve into it. But if I don't have the right instrument, I need a strong metal. And this little nothing, you can smush it, and yet it has so much power in its mouth. So you see the power of the tolas, the power of the mouth, which represents speech. The main element of the human is the power of speech. And as we discussed, and I'm not going to go through it again, why the real power of the human being, which is the power of keser, of the crown, is represented in the mouth. So the tolas represents the medaber, and you take all this and create a concoction where all of them get burnt up in the fire and are rising up above. That is the ultimate rutzo, and what that elicits is a powerful descent of godly light downward into the world, which is the idea of the f- taking the, the, the mayim chayim, the spring water, and pouring it and mixing it together with the ash. This is this two forces of elevation and descent, which is the collective idea of all the mitzvahs. Okay. And last week, this was what we learned. That was the earlier part of the Mimer. And then we added to that, and again, the latter part of last week's Thursday night class was to get more specific in this idea of the burning of the red heifer, of the, of the paraduma. So he discussed that the idea of the paraduma is to extract the sparks of holiness that are, it's, when we say elevation, we mean elevation of the world, but more particular, why, why dafka a red heifer? You know, this would be any animal, based on what we said before, that you want to elevate every element of creation, any animal would be good. And why dafka the red heifer, and why was it done outside of the camp, outside of the holiness? It was done outdoors. So he explains, because when we say what particular gives God satisfaction when we are taking something of the world and bringing it close to him, bringing re, reunifying with him, which is the idea of returning energy, restoring energy to its original state, is primarily when we take the energy of things that have become totally disconnected. And that is the unholy, the realm of the klipa, the unholy. When we can, and, 
if you think about it, paraduma also comes to heal the the death, and death, the contamination that comes as a result of death. And the contamination that comes as a result of death comes from a state of disconnect. What does death mean? God is life. Disconnect from God. And the, so the idea of it is there are living entities in this world. There are forces in this world that even though they're powerful and they're strong, they're essentially dead. The reason why they're dead is because they, because they live in a state of disconnect from God. So even though temporarily they have energy, but obviously they don't unify with that energy, they don't connect with that energy, and therefore their energy and them are completely separated, and therefore they're living a mirage existence. They're not real, it's a fake, it's not a true, when we say true, I mean it can live for hundreds and even thousands of years, but it has no true being, this true, true life. Real life is eternal life, and the world is going to be alive eternally, and that's when we, we, we connect every aspect of the world to its living source, and that is God who is forever, and therefore everything living off Him and attached to its life lives forever. So the reason there is death in the world is because there are forces in this world that distribute death. How do they distribute death? Death, they distribute their consciousness, which is a consciousness which is separated from God, which is the consciousness of Klippa. Okay? So now, anything that comes into into uh, everything that absorbs from the klipa consciousness, from the klipa knowledge, which is like the tree of knowledge of good and bad, anything that, from the snake's knowledge, and it inserts that venom into something, so even though that thing can live, but it's not really alive, it's, it's, it's disconnected. So how do we rectify that state of disconnect is by taking the energy out, the temporary energy that's there, stuck and enlivening it, by extracting it, and therefore, eliminating the distributors, the promoters, the, uh, the influencers of death in the world, which are the Klippa agents, which are, um, are very active. And you have to undo them. And when you undo them, Klippa ceases to exist. So there's nobody marketing a life ignoring God. That's the idea. When there are those who market a life of ignoring God, that means they're really marketing death. Even though temper, you know, externally you don't see it because superficially they're well and rich and powerful and strong and have huge influence, but really it's death. Because, as we mentioned, so we, don't, we don't need much, much explanation. Now, everything has to always, in order to appreciate, in order to fix something, in order to rectify something, you always have to go deep and get to the core of a problem. We know that in everything. You know, so if, if your computer is malfunctioning, if your refrigerator is malfunctioning, if anything is malfunctioning, if a person's body is malfunctioning, the reason you go to a physician, the reason you go to a technician, the reason you go to a engineer or whatever it is, is to take a look and see the root of the problem, which is not always visible on the outside. On the outside, you see symptoms. When you dig deeper beneath the symptoms, you get to the cause of all these symptoms. So what's the cause of all the symptoms? It is rooted in the red heifer. The red heifer is the one that makes, when it's alive, not when it's dead, the red heifer, the paraduma, is what enables klipa to exist. Why? It itself is not a bad being. That's why it's a kosher animal. <laughs> if it would be really, really non-good, it would be non-kosher. It would be a full-fledged klipa. It's not a full-fledged klipa. But it is a, it is a, um, a klipa that all klipas are hinged on. All unholy is, are latched onto the red heifer to give it life. How does that work? That's the concept that there is something called klipas noga. Klipas noga means the glowing shell. We speak about the forces that cover up and conceal God. They're called shells. 
and primarily they are, uh, they are described as the three impure shells. Now they themselves, because they're in a state of complete um, rejection of God, whether they deny God, the spiritual klipos don't deny God, you can't deny God, but they are in a state of total disobedience. They, 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 they don't want to um, be connected. They're, they're, they're evil, pure evil. They can't disobey completely. Again, the spiritual klipa can never disobey because even Bilam, who was a wicked man, could not disobey. We learned last week, he said, I cannot disobey God, so they can't disobey God, but they represent an ideology, ideology that completely uh, doesn't want to submit to God. And therefore, there is no way that they can stand and receive, that God would transmit and give them life. God does not give them life directly. He gives them life through a channel, a mediator. Who's the mediator? The mediator is the midsection klipa. The midsection klipa is called klipas noga, which is a mixture of good and bad. So the good side, I'm not going to get into all the understanding of it, but the good side of klipas noga, because it's good, and that means it's submissive to God and it's connected, it's not holy, but it is semi you know, uh, it's on a level of high, much higher consciousness and therefore far more tuned into the purpose of creation. And it is therefore a vehicle and a, a vessel, rather, to be able to receive divine energy. Once it receives its energy through its higher side, which is good and holy, it then processes that energy into itself. And being that it has a lower side and the lower side is impure, it takes the impurity and, it, and it, now it has this energy that is already contaminated and already darker and more disconnected. And now that energy is now um, conditioned and prepared to be able to be passed on to what is utterly wicked and, uh, and against God. Without this transformer, without this, um, you know, uh, yeah, what we call it a transformer, without this mediator, so to speak, um, the unholy would have absolute, would be totally cut off. That's the idea of klipas noga. It's this middle, it's this agent. It's have good in it. Like we see within ourselves, I'll give a simple example within ourselves, is that um, our true energy comes from goodness, from holiness. So when we do, when our higher side, our better side, when we wake up and we're in a higher state of consciousness and a higher state of godliness, and we, we're into doing good things, we learn Torah, we, we daven well, that's when we're really filling our soul with real powerful energy. But being that we're not yet totally, we're like this Klipas Noga entities because we don't always maintain such a high level of sensitivity. When we close the book and we cease to focus in on what's right, what's good, what's holy, what's true, and we begin to see the world as the world markets itself, as... Uh, as uh, you know, as Hollywood markets the world, as or whatever, as the, the 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 world and the other forces that constantly try to give us an image of existence the way they like it, and we buy into it, we accept it, and we fall into such a consciousness, which means less devoted towards our purpose and mission, one that emboldens selfishness or just self-absorption, a life devoid of meaning and higher purpose, but just live life so that you can enjoy, which we all sometimes fall into, that's when we are acting as converters of energy, precisely because we prayed, we davened, we were in a state of deeper connection, 
we received a tremendous blessing. While we pray, God downloads into us powerful blessings so that we can use that energy to serve our purpose. But then when we enter into this forgetfulness state, we begin to translate, we, 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 we misuse this energy into, at first, not into bad things, but they're also not focused. And from there, we can, God forbid, um, begin to even think or entertain the thought of doing things that are utterly against God, using the very blessings that God has given us. In simple language, God give a person a blessing of a lot of tzedakah, I'm sorry, of a lot of uh, money. person makes money. And it could be you made a lot of money because you gave tzedakah. And when you're giving tzedakah, you're plugging into holiness. And when, God, when you give tzedakah, God gives you. Every time you give, you, become, you, you download an incredible blessing from God. It could be you got the blessing because in Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur you were so doing such well tshuva and you were so connected, such a deep repentance and you filled your basket, you filled your, your reservoir with powerful, God gave you an incredible blessing. But six months later you're not in that holy state. You take that very money itself that God has given the person and God forbid one, not you, but whoever it is, one uses it for things that are not kosher and not godly and as a result of that, one is bestowing this holy energy into the klipa. So that's the idea of klipas noga, which is in the middle, it's not a, a evil entity, but precisely it's needed to be there in order to pass on energy to the unholy. And this is the idea of the red heifer, is that we're doing, we're burning the, the, this animal. Now what does it do with the red heifer? Let's understand how the red, so we explain. The, 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 the main source of klipa in general to exist is from the left side, the ox, and in the Markava, in the chariot, there's a lion on the right side, and there is an ox, there is an ox on the left side. And we discussed in the earlier class that since the right side, the right side is much deeper plugged in to the holy, because the right side is chesed, and chesed is revelation. So on the right side, everybody that receives on the right side is less likely to go astray, more connected. And even on therefore, even as the right side continues outward, outward, outward to the very, very, very farthest um, 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 levels of the cosmos, the most external levels, it still maintains and retains some level of higher consciousness. And therefore, it never becomes really klipa. On the left side, there is a much greater, the left side also transmits, but because the energy on the left is more reluctant of flowing outward because the left side's energy is more of an inward energy. That's what the left is in. The energy is Gavura. Gavura wants to withdraw. So when it finally does go out, it only goes out in a very, 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 very minuscule flow. And because it's a very minuscule flow, the, this, the recipients over there have far less awareness and consciousness of God and therefore they can become more farklipet. They become more clip, you know, more disconnected in their consciousness to the point that you can have real klipos on the left. So the first recipient that's considered a klipa is on the left side and it's the red heifer. It's the female receiving from the, the, the male ox, which is holiness, but the female is already the recipient of it and, 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 and that's the, it's receiving the red, it's a lot of dinim, judgment, which is the color of red. It is now bad, but it facilitates all evil because all evil plugs into it. So how do we fix it? Is when we take this middle stage and we empty the energy back to holiness, 
once she is elevated to holiness and reabsorbed into Kedusha, there is no outlet for Klippa. Because Klippa, as we said earlier, the real Klippas, they can't plug into holiness directly. So how do we do that? So when we slaughter the red, the red heifer and we take its blood, which blood means its inner energy, its in, inner vitality, which is really good, because remember we said that the Noga, the Klippas Noga, is good and bad. But we take that good energy, which is good, and separate it from the rest and throw it, sprinkle it towards the Holy of Holies. That means like a person who, 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 who has a moment of powerful tshuva. His inner identity and inner energy is completely devoted and, 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 and dedicated towards godliness. So that's the inner energy. But that's not enough. Then we take the outer external part of it, which as we said before, it's not the primary energy, but it's the leaking, the part of the energy where it starts to leak already into the unholy. And it's not bad yet. Even when it's acting in an unholy way, it's not really bad yet. It's just less godly conscious. It's like we discussed last week, is that in, in Hasidic teaching, it is taught that the, the, the doorway, the, um, the, uh, the entranceway, um, into, into sinfulness comes from indulgence in the permissible. When we, when we don't, when we're not mindful in all that we do, and we allow ourselves just to live, even when we're not doing things that are not kosher, we stick only to the kosher, but we allow ourselves complete indulgence in these things without purpose, that's, from that state is when we become thickened, less godly conscious, and that becomes a doorway to, God forbid, fall into, not to be able to control ourselves, if, God forbid, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, gets into us, which is the Yetzirah, is an entity of the three impure klipas. When that comes into us and makes suggestions of sinfulness, we say, eh, it's not so bad. So if I'm not listening to God for five minutes, not so bad. An hour, two minutes, not so bad. But why do we even think that way? It's because we've been in this klipas noga state. So the klipas noga, oh. So therefore, it's now, in order to rectify the klipas noga completely, we have to take all those areas where our energy went into, which are not evil, but they're not connected. That's the point. It's not connected. So in that aspect, we have to extract the energy of it, to extract the energy. And that's what happens because, let's put it this way, our passion and our fire and our excitement in all those materialistic pursuits, the passion itself is not bad. The problem is the form that it takes hold. You know, the fact that we want to feel good, that itself is not bad because you could technically redeem that and make it, I want to feel good fulfilling my purpose and my mission. I want to feel good by finding pleasure in connecting to the divine. The fact that we inserted that energy into feeling good by eating a bag of potato chips, which is not going to do me any good. It's not helping me serve God. It's only, you know, it's only delighting my craving for salt right now and whatever it is and the crunch. So... That means that a point of energy, of passion, got trapped in an unholy trapping. Not evil, because it's kosher potato chips, 
But it's still from that bag of potato chips, you might find yourself an hour or two later dreaming of some other non-kosher fantasy. And you're not even putting it together that it, the reason why you're even thinking about this is because of the bag of potato chips. See, that's what I'm saying. That's the idea that the Alter Rebbe is conveying. So now we need to disintegrate. Now here's the thing. The energy in this excitement, you know, you stopped, you parked your car, you went into the gas station, you looked for the kind of chips you like. There's a whole lot of energy there, a whole lot of excitement because you're like, oh, I must have that right now. Now, truth is, you can buy an apple. <laughs> that would probably do you better or you can even buy almonds probably would do you better because it's something healthy, right? And you're picking up the potato chips, which has no nutritional value at all. And you're eating it. Again, I'm not telling anybody whether to eat potato chips or not. I'm giving the idea just that you get what I'm understand, what I'm saying. Um, I'm talking my own, my own, um, <laughs> my own struggles, right? Um, you don't need it, right? So there's a whole lot of energy there. So that energy itself is not bad because What's bad is that it took a form of the, the, the bag, the chips. So now when you can undo the form, which is the chips, and just allow that energy to go out of it, and now you take that craving, you say, I have a craving for a sensation. You know what I'm gonna do now with that same sensation? I'm gonna eat something healthy, and I'm gonna be mindful that I'm gonna use this energy that I'm getting now to be more focused on my purpose and my mission. Imagine if we do that when you want the potato chips. So that's when you extracted it. That's called burning the carcass of the red heifer. When you're burning it, you're burning out the, the water, the fire, and the, and, the, um, and the air that's in it, and you're just getting the, the earth that's in it. The earth is the essence of it. The essence of that passion is good, and you're redirecting it to its holiness. Or sometimes, you know, a person just needs to feel good for a moment. Here's the thing. Imagine if you decide that, you know what? I have this energy for some kind of material pleasure. I feel I need to like feel good right now. And I'm nothing bad, just feel good. You know, maybe I can listen to something that's gonna make me feel good. Something, so you tune your, you know, today we can find podcasts. Find the, your, your favorite teacher, put it on, instead of just indulging, and find the same pleasure in something holy. And yet not, not always does food have to be re replaced with food. It could be, sometimes it's just the sensation of feeling uplifted. And you can get that from something godly. How about saying, I'll find a pleasure in helping someone? That too. There you go. You just move the energy from one form to another form, and you redeem the energy. You redeem the spark. The satisfaction that that gives God is like infinite. The sen that kind of, <laughs> that kind of, um, 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 made the entire creation worthy of being created for that day, just for that one little shift. That means burning the red heifer. Now, by doing that, you're cutting off the klippa in an, an enormous way because the only way the klippa can survive, the real dark stuff can survive, is if we keep feeding into these mindless, um, um, meaningless, um, godless pleasures that are, we look at them and say, it's not bad, it's kosher. Yeah, but they're mindless and godless, so it's really, you know, it's the neighbor of death. And when we, we minimize, get less and less into those areas and, and fill those spaces with godly content, the klipa has less, less where to latch itself onto and to derive energy from. That's what we learned last in last class. Well, I didn't expect to spend so much time 
in reviewing, but I think there's a lot of newness in this review. So now, once we have that, we also understand, then he continued and he said, by lifting the sparks from, from this burnt red heifer, by extracting these from the, from the very, from the ready animals, not the blood, the blood is your inner life force. A Jew could put it this way, you know, once we, 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 we take our main energy in life and focus in holiness, that's the blood. But the, we're not talking about the main, we're talking about the small little expressions, the outer, like, see, your main part of your day, you're doing, you're focused on what you should be doing in life, but you have these, or you, we all have these, these, these secondary tier, the secondary tier of involvement, where it's the in-between, it's the 15 minutes in-between the doing acts of holiness, your shiurim, your davening, your working for a living, it's the in-between time, it's the leisurely time, where there is so much excessive energy that leaks into godless and meaningless and, and, and mindless actions and activities that are just, and that's where the leakage is taking place, the more we can close those gaps. That's the idea, that's the burning of the red heifer, and return the energy, it's an act of tshuva, returning it to holiness, that's where it's all at. This is awesome. But after we have this return, we also need to fill our lives with, holy, with holiness, that's the pouring of the water, is that when we then have to have these returning moments, retracting energy, tshuva moments, set moments of ascent, pulling out, we draw godly, godly infusion into, into the holy vessels, which is Torah study, mit, um, words of Torah, mainly he said words of Torah, then we're channeling godliness into vessels, into holy containers. The last thing we learned, the last thing we learned is that after we complete doing that, you're supposed to have the ash is on top of the water. That means after we experience this intense quest of return to God, and then that, that's the fire, that's the ash. We pour the waters and we satiate it with a flow of energy downward. The ash has to still be on top of the water. What's the idea of the ash being on top of the water? Is that, that our our, um, our uh, sense of fulfillment that comes about by doing godly things should never extinguish the, and put out completely that yearning of connection, of, of, of transcendence. There should always be a balance between the descent and the ascending. And after the descent, we still have to sense a continuous dissatisfaction even though we're doing everything godly in this world, we recognize that just by being physical and being within this world, we're so limited in our experience of the divine. And therefore, we should always want a return back into transcendence. Okay, that's what we learned. Now, before I start Siv Dalit, Perik Dalit, I'd like to learn, there's a little star over here. I'd like to learn a as everybody knows, that the Tzemach Tzedek, the grandson of the author of the Balatanya, the third Chabad Rebbe, who was, who was the one who had these Maimarim printed, um, added to the discourse itself his footnotes, or his additions. Most of the times it's inserted in the Maimar itself. But sometimes there are some omissions, and they're printed in the back. 
So on the back over here, there is a very nice long addition from the Tzemach Tzedek, which I'd like to learn now before we continue. Okay, that the water cannot extinguish the fire. Bebuch eleven o two noisif in the in uh, there's there's an addition. I guess they had different pamphlets and it had names. This was one thousand one hundred and two, the book of of the Tzemach Tzedek's um, foot um, um, comments. Um, no, he brings th this mimer, the Indian Afer Agabe Mayim Chayim, the idea of the Afer on top of the water, as stated elsewhere, that the yearning of the heart, which is the main idea of the fire, of the ash, which represents this ascendance, returning energy upward, which in general, see, even though we, we just discussed how it's you know, picking up the little pieces of energy that are stuck in the klipa and returning them back to their source. But in general, it means the fire of the Jew, the fire in our soul in which we yearn for ascendance. We, we, we yearn to break free from the constrictions and to reunite with the infinite, right? So that's called the daliba. It's called the yearning of the heart. With all your might. It's without an end. It's limitless. It actually connects us to God higher than Torah. Torah, we're also we're, we're plugging into a very high divine channel, and we're channeling down. It's very high. Torah originates in the highest of the high. But yet, in prayer, when we experience um, a powerful inner yearning to God, we're touching God in a deeper place than when we're learning Torah, and we're drawing down. When it is an explosive, ex, meaning there's many different types of love, when it is the deepest yearning of the soul, when the soul is really rapturing in its love for God. And where do you find that, that we reach higher into the divine through this deep, fiery love? We find that the sages say, the early Hasidim, which represents the early pious ones, they spent nine hours a day praying. Now that's a lot of time. Nine hours, because every prayer was an hour, and then they would meditate an hour before, and then an hour after prayer, they were still, you know, they were still in this impacted by their prayer. So they couldn't do anything else. They went so deep in that they took them time to get out of it in another hour. So altogether, three prayers a day ended up being nine hours davening a day. Now, for a Jew who's got time to devote to spirituality, we know that the highest calling is to study Torah. And yet these Hasidim, who could have spent those nine hours a day in Torah study, chose not to spend those nine hours. They did study Torah all the rest of the time. But yet, nine hours they devoted to prayer. Now, most people can devote only three hours to prayer. Or even less, two and a half hours. You know, shachras takes, you know, the Alter Rebbe recommends an hour and a half of shachras for the morning prayer. It's longer. But min let's say each one, 20 minutes. So an hour and a half plus 20, 40, in two hours and 10 minutes, you kind of, I've got your, all your prayers done, even if you're diving nice and carefully. 
And they have to do it in nine hours. Why did they spend it for that time? You know, there's another, you know, six and a half, uh, six hours and 40 minutes or something like that, which could be spent in Torah study. Instead, they did it, they kept it, they, re, they, they, re, they, they set that time aside for prayer, which obviously it's, it's compromising on the Torah study. And if their objective is to connect to Hashem, so you gotta, you gotta, you know, you should, you should use your time correctly. So you see from here, the reason why they could, they had the opportunity to do both and they chose prayer is because prayer is a deeper connection. So the sages say, but what happened with their Torah? So the sages say, because they were chassid. In other words, usually in order to maintain scholarly knowledge, Torah is so vast. You, know? you have to review and review and review. It takes many hours. Obviously, they didn't have so much time for... Re- Maybe they had time to learn new things, but didn't have time for the reviewing. So the Gemara says, because they were chassidim, because they were so pious, they would retain all whatever they studied. So they didn't have to do chazara, review, and instead they can always learn new things, new Torah, and their old Torah was always was kept without needing the review. What does that mean? So over there he explains, So he explains that, that the real meaning of that is, is that spiritually they're connecting to a much higher place. I'm sure what that means, that their Torah is mishtameres, um, I don't, I should have looked it up and I didn't look it up to see how he interprets that. If you give me just one second, I just want to switch my glasses because I'm, I'm reading inside and it would be easier for me to... And that's why the afer, the ash, by the way, for those who are, want to learn this Mimer inside with me, this is on page 302 in the back, back of Sefer Lukuti Torah. He has this footnote. And that's why the ash, which is, represents this racing upward, with all your might, is on top of the water, which is the Torah. And now, on even a more higher level, the Gamal Derech, it's also similar. You see, the idea of ash and water is the ash is Gevura, and the, the water is Chesed, is kindness. This is Gevura, severity, discipline, and this is kindness. Now, in, down here, we spoke earlier, kindness is much is much preferable over, over Gevura. We spoke earlier that kindness is a lot of, is revelation, is revelation. And Gevura comes, from Gevura comes concealment. So there's, so there's, and even in the spheros, which one is first? Which one emerges first? First Chesed, then Gevura. So Chesed is higher than Gevura. Yet, in its source, remember we learned last class that everything in source, everything is upside down. Just like we said, the four elements, fire, wind, water, not four, the four types of animals, the lowest, the domain is in its source higher than, than the other forms of life. So the same is also between chesed and gavura. In its source, it means in keser, in the crown, before things are projected. But in their source, then gavura is higher. So therefore the ash, which represents the gavura, is higher than the water. Gavura, gavura is gavaya, is higher than chesed, kamaylas azav ala keser. 
like the quality of gold over silver. Gold and silver are two metallics, which the gold is fire. That's why gold has a color of fire, and silver is a color of water. The same is also above. So they have the same is also above Indian Kiddush Mechatos. So, what is the idea in this process of taking the waters, adding the ash to the water? And in, I spoke, of, I mentioned this in the last class, it's called sanctifying the, sp- the, the sprinkling water, Chatos over here, the, or purifying water. So the chatas, the mechatas is the special red heifer water. And the, the putting the ash into the water, because the Allah is you're supposed to, even though the, the verse seems to imply you put first put the ash in and then you put the water. But the halach is not that way. You're supposed to put the water into a vessel. You're supposed to fill the water. A lot of laws about filling the water. It's called miloi mechatas, filling the water. It's very technical. And then after that's done, you take some of the ashes and you put it on the water. So putting the ashes on the water is called sanctifying the water. So what does that mean spiritually? Mayim is chachma, is, 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 is wisdom, as we discussed. Mayim, we said, is chesed, but chesed is on the right side, and all the way, all the way up on the tippy top of the right side is chachma, because on the right side is chach, chach, chachma, is on the right side, bina is on the left side, and chesed is, is the emotion corresponding to chachma. So, um, that's Mayim. Mayim Chayim, spring water, means Chachma, as Chachma is rooted in its source, which is called Chachma Stima, Chachma in Keser. Chachma, as it's connected to the living spring waters, Chachma is not even Chachma, Chachma is still included in Keser, which what we called earlier was Moach Stima, the closed element of Moach. It's the pre intelligence, it's the water on the highest level. Yet, by putting ashes into that water, we're sanctifying it, which means we're making it holy. So what does that mean? That means we're elevating even Chachmas Why is that? In that means Tala de Bedulcha. We're connecting the Chachma, the Moyach Stima, to the crystal dew. Which we had a whole class, and I mentioned this last week. Um, I mentioned that we had a class which spanned like, I think, four or five classes called The Secret of the Crystal Dew. So the crystal dew is the idea in the Zohar talks about that's where Tchias Amesim comes from. That's where the resurrection of the dead is, come, of the dead is going to come from. It's from the dew that's coming from the, ta- the bedulcha. Now bedulcha is a type of stone that has a little red tinge to it. So we discussed that this, at that shear, this is referring to the level of Atik Yomen in Keter itself, in Keser itself, the innermost of the crown. And it's and in it, it's the gvura is the atik It's the intensity of atik The gvura, now obviously on levels of atik, there's no gvura. It, it represents intense chesed. But intense chesed is called gvura dat, and that's, and that's the redness, is the intensity of it. The ash that goes up to its quintessential source, it goes up to the gvura of atik And that gvura of atik that crystal tal of the bedulcha, is much higher than the Shorish of Chesed, than, than even Moyach Stima. And when we draw down just a tinge of Talad the Bedulcha into Moyach Stima, it intensifies the Moichen, and it intensifies the entire flow of the right. And that's the meaning of, 
So in simple words, that means that if we pray with powerful, powerful yearning, if we experience a moment of tshuva, of powerful, the weeping of our soul to reconnect to God, it energizes all the Torah that we study with such an incredible intensity. And it's the potency of whatever we're downloading is infinite, is incredible in its power. This is, as he said, we're going up through the ashes, up to the dew of the bedulcha. Which is the gevura of Atik Yoimen, and, and, and Tanya, and, and, and he calls it uh, also um, over there, he calls it um, uh, the, the, the dark handle. What was the word over there that he calls it over there? Um, the dark, the dark lamp. And I forgot already, but he doesn't mention it. That is enclosed in Moyachstima. We're activating. Gevura da Atik Yoimen is enclosed in Moyachstima, and we're activating that. Why do we need that particularly now? By the red heifer, because the whole idea of the red heifer is to remove the power of Tuma from the world, the powers of unholy. They're the ones who are, as we spoke earlier, they're marketing death. And they need to be, their energy has to be taken away from them. The removal of the spirit of impurity, has to be, it needs, in other words, in order to, 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 to disconnect them, there needs to be a power of gvura. It's not enough with kindness and so so the flow of living waters on its own is a flow. You might say, by increasing a flow of godly revelation, the klipa will, will disintegrate, will run away. Not necessarily, quite on the contrary. Once they're in power, even if you're increasing the flow of revelation, they can even grab onto that. You need to give them a zinger. You need to give them something, something hot, something very intense that makes them run. And for that, you need to plug all the way in to the... Even though we said before, Gevura is actually the reason they exist. That's the lower levels of Gevura, where Gevura is about restraining. But when you go all the way, all the way up to the core, core essence of Gevura, where the Gevura is not about restraining, but about intense giving, it's that intensity that, can, that, that blows, that burns the Klippa. Which is also known about the 13 strands of the beard. Now we know the 13 strands of the beard represent the Yud Gimel Midas very, very high, but here that comes from Keter, from the crown. And we see an interesting thing. And it's reflected in the human being, in the beard. That's why the beard is very, very holy. That's why we're supposed to not, we're not allowed to shave the beard. And, we should, and according to Kabbalah, we shouldn't even touch the beard, meaning in a sense we shouldn't even trim it or anything like that because the beard is very, very holy. So it is explained why. Because the hair from the beard is rooted in this inkesar in the crown. All the way, all the way up that it receives from moyach from the closed moch. And that's why it says that you only get a beard when there's a certain maturity. Okay, there's two levels of moach. There is the revealed moichen, that's the, your, your conscious intelligence. And there is the pre-intelligence, the real creative source from where all this, the source of seichel. Now, when a person, the revealed moichen, the revealed moichen, 
are, 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 are active and revealed from when we're young, even a little child, their brain, but the concealed mochen, the inner power of the inner mochen only reveal itself at, at a certain age, after 13, and when you become a teenager, and that's why the beard starts growing then, because beard represents a drawing of this moyach which in moyach is really connected to gvura da'atik. Why? Let me just say one nekuda, I'll say the reason why. Because Mayach is the, is, the, is, the, is the beginning of being able to take, to focus energy. Because the Mayachin is the first, the first power of lights in vessels, in containers, intelligence. The energy of the human being is really, an, the soul is a, is a vast energy. Intelligence is ideas set in which you can grasp them. So the energy coming into containers. In order to be able to contain requires a powerful force of gavura, of restriction, of, of restriction. Now the power to restrict something is, is, is more, takes more strength than the power of, def, of, fu, of diffusion, one thing, the power to contract. So the source of moyach is in the gavura element, in the strength of the infinite, in the gavura, the intensity of the infinite. So therefore the gavura, the atik, is what empowers mayach stima. And from there come the strands, the beard. Now you see an interesting thing. You take, if you analyze the hair of the head and the hair of the beard, the consistency is a different kind of a consistency. The hair of the head is a very kind of, it's a soft hair. Very, the hair of the beard has a certain, it's, it's, it's made up, it's, it's, it's a harder hair. The consistency is harder. Um, why is that? Everything is, everything is reflecting something. Because hardness and toughness represents gavura. Since the hair of the beard is coming from moyach the hair of the head is coming from the revealed mochen, from the revealed chachma. It's the, that's why it's around the brain. Because there's so much energy in the brain, some of that energy kind of like protrudes outward and expresses itself in the hair. The hair of the head, because it's coming from the revealed chachma, it's a chesed energy, so it's soft. The beer of the hair, it's coming from moyach stima, the concealed mochen, which is rooted in gavura, the attic, it's strong. But precisely because of that, it chases the klipa away. It has gavura and it chases the klipa away. Yud gimot sari's kashin. They are hard lichpois adinim to subdue the judgments. Masha enkin sarid, and that's why when there is judgments in the world, we evoke the thirteen attributes of mercy, which have an element. There's two things. It's, it's about evoking God's mercy, but it's also about destroying that which is bad in the world, getting rid of the klipas of the prosecutors and whatever it is. In order to overcome them, you need something strong, and that's the here of the beard. Which isn't the case of the hair of the head. I guess that means it's soft. Why are the hairs of the beard harder, firmer? That's because they're drawn from the concealed level of Moach. The Mochen of that's closed, that's still in Keser. 
which in it is enclosed the gevura the attic, the gevura of attic yoyimin. And as all of this is written in the Idra, in the portion of Zohar called Idra, Idra and Pashas Nasai, Dafkuflamet Aleph Amad Beis, Obebir Arizal Shaman, as the Arizal explains it. So similar to that, just like you have this idea, we'll understand the ash of the Paraduma, which is the ash represents this power of Gevura, but Gevura as it is returning all the way, all the way to the beginning of Gevura, which is the Gevura of Atik Yoimen. Bemei Chatos and the waters of Chatos. Shem Litchais, which also over here, the water, the spring, is to push, to cause the power of Tumah to go away. Why? You have a person who's defiled because he came into contact with death. So death is, and death comes from the power of the Chitzonim, of the unholy, of the unholy, uh, of the impure Klippas, that have now latched itself onto any person who comes into contact with death. So in order to chase them away, to, re, to, to, to expel them, you need something very powerful. So we have to get the Gevura, the Atik, into the water. The water has to be potent. So therefore, you need to elicit the power of Gevura. Which is enclosed in the closed Moichen. That from there, is the main power to subdue the judgments. That's why the Ash floats on top of the water. Because this Gevura, who the Atik, this Gevura is from Atik, from such a high level. Atik means the ancient of days, the, the innermost of the crown. That's higher than the spring water, the spring water themselves called, um, um, again, regular water represents Chachma. Spring water represents Chachma as it is in its source. Which is the closed moach of what's called the external part of Kesu, which is called Erech Anpin, which is where the source of, of Chachma is. And, but in that, we draw down, we reveal the Gevura Da'atik that's in it. Raksha Mislabish, but in it is Mislabish Gevura Da'atik. And therefore, you draw that and you uncover that. This is the idea of, as we spoke, or I mentioned earlier, of the Bedolach stone. Of the crystal stone, shulavan, it's white stone. The gavna sumka is chazebe, but there is a certain red tinge in it. That's the gavura of atik yaimin. As stated elsewhere, the tzarech iyani tzemach says we need to then we need to we need to understand the pidush eidra marizal daf kufchafches the arizal when the arizal explains um, the, the redness of the Gavna de Bedulcha, of the, of the, I'm sorry, of Avna de Bedulcha, of the, of the Bedulcha stone, the Arizal seems to be troubled. What's there troubling the Arizal? If it's Bedulcha, if it's, if it's the stone Bedulcha, which is called the crystals, Guntala de Bedulcha, which is so high, it's coming from Atik Yomen, which Atik is pure chesed. It says, with the less smaller Bahi Atika, there's no left. Over there, it's so purely kind, this infinite goodness. So how do you get redness? Where's the Gevura coming from? So the Arizal says that when it says it's red, it's chazebe, it's revealed in it, when it reveals itself in the Zeir Anpin, and in the Zeir Anpin, there is already the Zeir Anpin, which is much lower, that's already the, 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 the emotions as they are in Atzilus, over there, there is already chesed and gevura. So when it reveals itself over there, the redness comes from its revelation of Zeir, in Zeir Ampin, when there is gevura. 
But Tzemach Tzedek is asking, he says, V'tzarech ir. Uchura, the reason it's red, is because it is even an Atik Yoimen, it's coming from Gevura the Atik, and that's its redness. He just asks Tzarech ir. Okay. V'hine B'Kriya Shema Ksiv. Now B'Kriya Shema says, V'hoyu Hadvarim Ha'ele Al-Levavcha. In Kriya Shema, you have the two modes of Ratzai, of racing energy, Gevura energy, going back to its source, and descending energy. Flow. Why? Because you should love God, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might, especially when you get to all your might, represents this boundless yearning for God. And then we learned that what happens after that, you shouldn't stop with this spiritual quest, but immediately you should channel that energy into Torah, into, into Torah and good deeds. It should be these words, which is the words of Torah, that, I, that should be your response to this thirst. Don't leave it in an open-ended yearning. You should have also a, a downloading of godly light. But the interesting thing is, it's that these words should be upon your heart, which would imply the opposite, that the water is on top of the ashes. We're learning now that the ashes is on top of the water, reflecting that what? That the ash, the rutzai, floats on top of the water, on top of the shuv. Here we seem to be saying the opposite, and so comes out according to that, that the Torah, which is shuv, who is on the rutzai, on top of it. And elsewhere we find that we also state the same idea. On Shavuos, when they brought the special carbon of the two breads, they would wave to sheep, and in addition to the two sheep, they also brought two breads. So it's explained over there that the sheep represent the animal, which the animal is made up mainly of gvura, of blood, especially when you're bringing it as a carbon in the base amigdash. Um, so it's an ascending energy. The two bread, which represent the Torah, because the Torah is made out, and it was made out of wheat, and in Hebrew the word chita, the wheat is chita, and chita is ches tes hey, which is gematria, the numeric value is 22. Which 22 is the 22 letters of the Torah. So it represents the Torah. And we say that the Torah goes on top of the sheep when they waved it. Which again implies that the Torah, which is descending energy, is on top of prayer, which is ascending energy. The two breads, which one of them represents the written Torah, and the other one represents the oral Torah. is higher than the prayer, which is the kvasim, the sheep. So this is the famous definition answer that Hasidus always says, and I'm going to say it in Yiddish. Hasidus always uses the term which in English means it depends on which level we're talking about. Everything is multi-layered. So on certain dimensions, the descent is higher than the ascent. For example, we said earlier, which one is higher, the right side or the left side? So on a more manifest, revealed level, the right side is higher than the left side. I just saw yesterday the Rebbe, someone came to the, the Rebbe for a blessing for Parnassah. 
And the Rebbe said that you're closing your jacket in the wrong way. You see, modern suits, modern clothing is made that the, the, the when you close it, you button it, the button is put, see my buttons fell off. Okay, see I need new buttons here. All right, so when your button is here, take the jacket, you close it like this, the button is on the right side, and the hole is on the left side, and the left is on top of the right. Hasidic garments, kapata, things like that, are made in a way where they are purposely made the right side go over the left. And the reason is because you want to strengthen the right over the left. So the Rebbe told him, your jacket is buttoned the wrong way. Fix your jacket. So it's hard today because if you're wearing real Hasidic garments like the Yidnam, you know, uh, Williamsburg, Borough Park, who a lot, you know, get their suits also in a more Hasidic, uh, you know, they wear, diff you know, more Hasidic type of garment, even shirts. This one, no, oh, this one is a modern one. Also the left and not the right. But I well, sometimes go to Borough Park, and my, I go with my father, and we buy shirts. And I love that Hasidic store because they're nice shirts, but they're made to fit that the right side goes on the left, um, which, which is a very big bracha. So the Rebbe told them you should wear the shirt the right way. So, uh, so, oh, so I'm saying, so people buy those the garments, you can buy them, and they're that way. If you buy suits in any, in any modern clothing store, right? so you're going, I don't know, whichever, whatever store, wherever you shop, and you buy your suit, the suits are all made that way, that the left will go on the right. So there are people who actually but I guess not every suit you can change if it's already tailored that way. They try to like, or when they close it, they close the button in a way where they're overlapping it and push the button in the other way. Whatever, there's a way of doing it. So you see that right is higher than left. But that's only, as we said before, in a more manifest level. In its quintessential source, the left is higher than the right. So the same is what the, what the Tzemach Tzedek is answering over here. Is that on, a, on, 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 when we're talk, talking about the sheep and the, and the bread, since this is representing a certain level, where on that level, the bread is higher than the sheep. The bread, which is chesed, is higher than the sheep, which is gevur. But if on a higher level, which is paraduma, which is very, 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 we're getting it to the very, very root, where we're going much deeper, over there you have to do it the other way. So that's where he's saying over here is that um, kvasim is chagas, is chesed, gevur, teferes, keves has three letters to it. Chof, Shin, Beis, which represent Chesed, Gevura, and Teferis. Um, the, the, um, is Chagas Ta'arech. It's the Chesed, Gevura, Teferis of the level of Arech Yoyimim. Over there, the bread, which he doesn't say what the bread represents, is higher than it. which isn't the case over here. Eifer, Chayim, because it's on a much higher level. This afer, this ashes, after the rectification. Because remember, we're taking something from the depth, from the bowels of Klippa, and we're returning it back to the source. And when it's returning back to its source, it has such potency, such energy, it lodges itself all the way, all the way up to its very, very, very beginning of beginning. While the Yasei, the Sharsha, and it's raising up to its source. Reim is Lubchen is Gevura, the Atik is Remez, to the Gevura level of Atik, Yoyim, and this raising of feminine waters, this is, this is not regular gvura. In a person's regular avoda, where you have gvura, which represents discipline, and chesed, which represents 
the kindness, the kindness has to overpower the gavura. But this is a gavura of tshuva, which tshuva is super potent. Uh, where? Because kiniskali el you're taking something that was already bad, and you peeled away all the external husk and skin and everything, and you're just exposing its root essence energy. And that means you're taking something that was still now stuck and it was part of the world of Klippa and you're restoring it back to holiness. Okinoi, that is known the tshuva enai alavedis. And tshuva is, now, even though we explained earlier that the ash of the paraduma is not coming from sinfulness. It's talking about permissible taiva that you're converting. So he says, yeah. So how, how come is that called tshuva? Because we learned that, we, it's explained elsewhere that tshuva is not only on sins. Tshuva can mean from just being in a less godly state, you feel the distance and you're returning. And that's what the burning of the ash of the paradumas, a person realizes that I'm in such a godly, even I'm not sinning, but I'm such a godless, in such a godless state. The fact that one has been separated, one is in a state of separation. The place where the Balchuva stands, even the perfect tzaddikim can't stand. That means the soul is propelled instantly to such unimaginable heights as it soars upward. That's why this reaches so, so high. All the way into the innermost of the crowd. It is explained in the famous Mimer. It's the first Mimer in Torah Oyerku. In, in the entire book that we're learning now, which has two volumes, Torah Or and Lakuti Torah, the first Mimer of Pashas Bereshis, Kasher HaShamayim HaChadoshim, it's talking about the new heavens and the new earth that God is going to create, where over there he explains that Shamayim and Oretz are Ratzai V'Shuv. Shamayim is Shuv, it's the descending light, and Oretz is the yearning light, earth, yearning upward. So over there he, exp- but it says there is the earth and the heaven of today, and there's the new heaven and the new earth that Hashem is going to reveal when Mashiach comes. So he explains these are two levels in Ratzai V'shuv. There was one level of Ratzai V'shuv, today's Ratzai V'shuv, and there's the future Ratzai V'shuv, which over there he gives the two names. One is called Ratzai V'shuv, and the other one is called Mati V'loi Mati, arriving and not arriving. So he, over there he explains that even though in our current system of Ratzai V'shuv, the Shuv, the descending energy, is higher than the Ratzai, which would mean that Torah is higher than prayer. But in, the, in a much deeper range, which is called Mati Veloi Mati, where over there the Mati is what? Shuv. Mati means arriving. Energy is arriving outward. Mati means arriving. Loi Mati means not arriving. The energy is, in a, is, is turning back into itself, which is the idea of Gavura. So over there it explains that in the system of Mati Veloi Mati, which is a much deeper state of, of energy, the Loi Mati is higher than the Mati. In the state of Ratzai Veshuv, the Shuv, which is, the, which is the outward flow, is higher, is, is, the, is taking from a higher place than the returning energy. But on a level of tshuva, which ascends, which breaks out of the normative Ratzai Veshuv, and it's, it's, it's reaching into the levels of Mati, the Loi Mati, over there the Loi Mati is higher than the Mati. That's what he says. The Bebchinas Ratzai Veshuv, and Ratzai Veshuv, HaShuv, Gavoyama Ratzai. The Shuv is higher than the Ratzai. Like we say by, in, in, um, in Kriya Shema, that these words of Torah should be on your heart. Because what heart are we talking about? The heart of daily prayer, which isn't necessarily a Balchuva. It's not Yom Kippur davening. It's daily prayer. It's an excitement. And then the, the return 
of godly flow into the world is greater than the excitement that you have towards God. That's why the, the words is on top of your heart. Or the two breads are on top of the two kvas. But when we're talking about tshuva, when you're taking something from the dark side and you're returning it, that's already touching on the levels of mati v'loy mati, getting into attic, where over there there's no ratzai v'shuv, just ma, over there the loy mati is deeper. Another explanation we could give on this. Based on what it says in a different place in Pashas Vayishlach. on the Pasuk Vayavik Ish Imo. He's going to give now another, another insight in this idea of the ashes on top of the water. It says in the famous Mimer, which one of my favorite Mimer, which discusses Yaakov, Yaakov's fighting with the angel of Asa. So it says, that a man wrestled with him. So the, it says over there, Shehelu Avak What's the word Vayavik? So Rashi says when two people wrestling, they hug each other, they encircle each other. Vayavik is an entanglement, they entangled one with each other. But then Rashi brings, I think Rashi himself, the Medrash definitely says it, but I think even Rashi says it, that Vayavik is also from the word dust. That means while they were struggling with each other, they were also, another thing that was happening was that they were kicking up dusk, dust. And their dust, that they was, that they, it was a dust storm, it was a dust cloud. And this dust cloud that was coming up from Yaakov and the angel that they were fighting was going up all the way, all the way up, and it went all the way up to the Kisei HaKad. Now we know there's something else that goes all the way up to the throne of glory, and that's tshuva. Tshuva goes all the way up to the throne of glory. So this dust has something to do with tshuva. So in that mimer, the Alter Rebbe explains something awesome, which we're going to see, I think, is the secret of everything that's happening in the world right now. It's, like, it's amazing. And that is that the Alter Rebbe explains over there that the, between the battle of holy and the unholy, which happens on the cosmic level, but also takes place on the private level in each and every one of us, is when the unholy, there he explains this whole idea that we learned over here at Great Land, that the unholy needs energy from Kedusha. And because it needs energy, it wants to get us to sin. That means it, it wrangles, it's, it, it, it fights with the man of holiness. Our animal soul, our, our left side, our Yitzhahara, comes and attacks our, our Yitzhatov, and it tries to siphon energy, tries to draw us into the klipa. So Vadiri explains how the fight, it's interesting, happens on many levels. He says, um, they, one thing we don't find that Yaakov and Esau were doing is they were bowing their heads against each other. Uh, Yaakov and the, and the angel of Esau. It doesn't say they were bowing their heads. Because he says that in our intelligence, in our mind, if you have a holy mind, a godly mind, a Torah mind, it's very hard for the Klippa to get into the mind and to, and to siphon energy from your mind. Because in the mind, there's a lot of clarity. In other words, as we find in, in, by most of us, you know, we know what's right. We know what's good. There's no mess up in the mind. The problem is when you get to the emotions. The heart is not always in the same boat as the mind. It's not always in the same wavelength. The mind would love to live life in a certain way, but the heart, the emotions, get, get entangled in the unholy stuff. We get angry, we get upset, we, get, we bear resentment, we, get, we experience the lusts and desires that are not kosher. So this is all, that's where the klipa fights in the heart. And there the Antarev explains that mainly in the main three emotions, chesed, gevurit, and that's the meaning of their wrestling. But we see when they wrestled, it, he, when the Vayavik, which Vayavik means wrestled, he, he couldn't harm him 
on the emotions. Esau didn't harm him. Where did he harm him? He harmed him on his thigh. He hit him in the thigh, and that's where he injured him. So the alternative goes to a long explanation over there, which I'm not going to do right now, is that there are six emotions, three upper emotions and three lower emotions. The three upper emotions represent the upper part of the person, chesed gevurit teferes. That part of our inner holy psyche, godly soul, it's, it's easier to keep that also in a holy place, not leaking into the klipa. But once you get down to Netzach, the lower emotions, over there the leakage is much more um, likable. Likely, rather. It's far more likely to leak on that level. And that's why the klipa hits him in the Netzach. I discussed, I gave many, I gave, uh, we taught this mimer, plus I gave uh, Monday night classes on this. It's called the Cosmic Battle. It's one of my favorite classes. I gave it years ago, like probably 10 years ago. Um, you can listen to it. It's on Parshas Vayishlach. Look up on the website, The Cosmic Battle. Two classes, part one and part two. But after the fight happens on the level of Netzach, there's the final battle. And that's the Battle of Malchus. The Battle of Malchus is dust. That's the bottom of the feet, where the Malchus is clashing. The Malchus of Klippa fights the Malchus of Kedusha. They go feet to feet. And that's the dust. That's what he explains over there. Now, what I loved about that class was that I explained how this, you can see this war between holy and the unholy expressing itself throughout all of history. Well, where is the main battle? In the earlier days, in the days of the Greeks, there was a battle of the heads. There were great philosophy was battling. The, the, the ideals of Torah and the ideals of Greek philosophy were fighting with each other. Later, it became a fight on the emotions, on a deep emotion. And our service of God, on the one hand, by was deep emotional service on a very, very deep level, but the klipa was also challenging us on the level of emotions. Like you have, you know, Jews that were tempted by the deep, rich emotional writings of, 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 of music, writing, stuff like that, that was trying to capture and draw the Jewish people away from Judaism. There were people that were caught up. So if you look at old stories, it's very rich with deep but as you get in today's fight, the last generation, everything is, it's not about the emotions, it's, not, it's all superficial, it's all just the act. The, everything is about expression. The unholy just wants to express itself. It has nothing to offer anymore but expression. Everything is about parades. You've got the pride parade and the, this parade, and everything is to put it in your face. Everything is action, everything is out, everything has to be spoken, everything is, has to be put out. And the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the main avoda in Judaism is also action. The Rebbe, the Rebbe focused us all on action. The main thing is to do an act of holiness. Express holiness. Speak holiness. Act holy. Do a holiness. Express holiness in the world. Make a holy sign. Make a holy building. Make a holy parade. Everything needs onto the streets. Everything has to come out. Because the malchus of the malchus, the two malchus, in other words, the final expression is now, the battle is about the expression. Who's going to express it? Now, Vadiri explains the idea of dust. That once the battle goes down to the level of dust, the, du- the klipa, it's, in holiness, it's called earth. What's in between earth and, and dust is that earth has moisture in it, and therefore you can plant and it can grow. Dust is hollow, it's dead, it doesn't have, it doesn't have anything to grow. 
So the clip, the level of malchus of I know I'm saying a lot over here, but I'm concentrating. Uh, if you want to get a full, deep understanding of what I'm saying, please listen to those classes. I'm not I just because he makes reference to this, but I want to get to one point which I feel is like amazing that's happening in the world right now. I'm just leading up to it, so I'm going through this very big kitzur. I'm very meaning, very brief, but the, in the unholy earth is called dust because in the unholy malchut there's no life. It presents itself like an imitation of holiness. So it's earth, but it's, it, there's nothing there. That's why we know, for instance, the act, a person can get caught up in the emotions of a sin. And the, but when you, when you, the act of the sin is ultimately what drags, it's the ultimate finale. You, know, you want to get to the final action. But when you get to the final action, it's like, oh man, it's like empty. Oh, there's nothing there. It like suddenly hits you like, for this? <laughs> is this all that it's about? You'd think it would leave you with a deep satisfaction, with a, with a happiness. You'd be happy for at least a week afterwards. Empty nothingness. Today's days, we're constantly being tempted by just pure expression of klipa. I'll, I'll give you just a simple example. You... 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, a yeshiva boy's got to learn Torah, he might be caught up in reading a romantic novel instead of reading Torah, but he's reading a romantic novel. He's reading the romance. He's reading the love. He's reading the experience. There is something schlepping him in a deep way. What's today? Pornography. What's pornography? There's nothing there but the act of sin. And it's not even though, God forbid, someone can get caught in it, and very hard to get out when someone is addicted, but there's nothing there. They feel sick, they feel empty, it just gets into a habit. There's nothing there. It's just plain the expression, the plain external revelation of all garbage. But that's where it's at now. That's where young people are struggling. That's where the fight is. But here's the thing. What happens when you inhale dust? What happens when you inhale dust? People are allergic to dust. It gives you immediately an allergic reaction. So ultimately, it's when we get, when, the, when we experience the dust of Klippa, which is the last battle before Mashiach comes, all these people that are struggling in it, what happens? causes an allergic reaction and it brings to tshuva because in the higher levels of klipa you can still convince yourself that there is some content there there's some fulfillment there there's some life over there if you're stuck in the ideological experiences of klipa in its emotional elements they have something to offer but when it comes to the action see an act of a mitzvah is full of life even though it's only an action it makes you rich. It gives you a sense of, re- of, of truth and of belonging and of, and, of, and of reality that lasts because it's this, even though it's an act and tomorrow you have to do another act, but there is something, abs- true life over there, true MS to it. This is nothing. And the opposite, it leads to the tshuva. And that's the idea that Yaakov and Esau in that last battle, the dust itself, which is the tshuva that comes from inhaling the dust, 
rises all the way up to the Kisayah Kavit and elicits Mashiach. That's basically what the Alter Rebbe explains in that mind. It's the final battle. So I'm thinking, and he says that that's the idea of the ash of the red heifer. The ash of the red heifer represents the final, the final tshuva. So in a sense, the red heifer ash represents the last generation. And the tshuva that comes from the dust, because ash is also like sooth, sooth, just ash. There's no life to it anymore. But that itself, when that is, brings about tshuva, where does it go up to the kisek kavit, to the highest of the high? I'm just thinking, you think about it. What's the pandemic? What's the world under right before Mashiach comes? This pandemic of COVID-19, which is like a dust. Now, it's not necessarily a dust particle, but what is it? It's the last manifestation of Klippa. It's the Klippa, and it's like a dust that's impacting the entire world. It's the dust of the Klippa. It's the Avak. That's around it. And it's the Malchus of Klippa. That's why it's called 19, because Malchus is called 19, because Chava, who's the first human being, first woman, represents Malchus, is Gematria 19. Malchus is 19. It's called COVID, because Malchus is called Kvoid Malchuscha Yoimeru, Kvoid Kavoid Kavod. Malchus over Kavod. COVID 19. It's the COVID of Klippa. And that's why they don't want it to go away. And they want to keep the masks on. They're holding on to this COVID-19. But it's the last manifestation of Klippa across the entire world. And what's the newest strain that's now worrying the whole world? The Delta strain. What's Delta in Hebrew? What's the word Delta? Dalis. Malchus is called Dal, poor. Malchus is called, and the female Dal, Dal, Deles. Aramim Hashem, David HaMelech says, Kidili Sonny, you lifted me up. Malchus is called the door. Delas. Delta could be Malchus. It's the, literally the Malchus of Klippa. And that's Dal, it's poor. It's real poor. Empty, nothing to it. And that's its final. That's, and what's the Klippa in today's world? Everything expression. Everything is expression of unholiness. It's not enough when people have certain things in their life that are not good and not holy. They want to express it that everybody has to see it. And it has to be in your face. It's nothing. It's nothing there. It's substanceless. That's the avak. To us, it means the power of tshuva that we have as a result of this. And that's the afer of paraduma. And that's what I'm thinking this year is Tavshim Pei Aleph Tiyashnas Paraduma. The tshuva on this, on the, as a result of COVID 19. It has to lead to tshuva. Because once it's bankrupt, once it's empty, once it's meaningless, once it's lifeless, that Semach Tzedek is bringing it here to the idea that this lowest substance, when it's elevated, goes to the highest of the high, the avak, as he says. Vinizbar, as he says. What's the difference? The avak says avak is when a fire burns something, it burns it down to dust. So you see afer of the paraduma. Behind afer, that's the afer. Then is barsham the pidish hello avak that they lifted avak. Hina inyan atshuva. It's the idea of tshuva, taking the Yetzirah, converting it to holiness. 
which is the avak, malchus which is the malchus and even from there, the highest comes out of it, that goes up to the kisya kovet. Denoiga al yadei tshuva through tshuva. Interesting, it says, kiseh hakavei denoiga. I'm not exactly sure what that means. V'hu kamoi b'chenas avak. This is the idea that avak, that even the avak, the malchus teklipa, is nichlal b'kedusha. The energy of it is nichlal, is included in holiness. B'chenas afar, it gets, in, it goes from the afar into the afar of kedusha. And it's interesting, kiseh hakavod. And that's why it's called covid. It goes up to the covid. It goes in, the afer goes into the afar. That's why it's on top of the water. Just like the Mayim, now think about it. Why is it going on top of the Mayim Chaim? Where is the Mayim Chaim coming from? Water, spring water. Very, very, but it's coming from, it comes from the earth. So the earth represents the highest of the high from where the Mayim Chaim comes from. The Afer, which is taking the lowest, goes back up all the way into the Afar, which is the source of the Mayim Chaim. The end, the final attack of the Klippa, of this, of this, of this Avak attack, and especially if it was manufactured in a lab, which is... A clear indication of a klipa released entity over the entire world. This is this last dust. Like which is called chai. comes from the earth. And above this earth is indicating the whole steam and concealed of all concealments. With you is the source of life. That's, it's above Chai, even above light. From this is where Chachma, even the closed Chachma, comes from. Okay. So all we got to learn today was this one parenthesis of the Tzemach Tzedek. Wow. Now I plan on learning the whole next piece. So I guess that's going to be the project, probably, unless I do it tomorrow morning. I don't think, I'm not sure I will be able to do it. We're going to have to do this as the Thursday night class this week. And that is to continue and complete this awesome mimer. Meanwhile, everybody be well. Have a good day. And uh, only the best. We should have Mashiach today.